you're going to really want to talk about this. I'm sure you're going to even be sitting here right now. Some of you husbands and wives are going to be nudging each other and talking because we've all been, I think, dealing with just some of the craziness of our culture. And it's just getting crazier every day, isn't it? And what I, what I love about God's word is as we studied 1 Peter, you know, we didn't, we didn't say we want to do a series on culture wars. So let's see if we can find some, some scripture to tie into that. No, we said we want to do a series on 1 Peter. And as we, stu- as we over the last couple months, as we've studied 1 Peter and prayed about how to present this and how to think of, how to frame this, this just, it became so clear to us that this, this is really about culture wars. So the good news is, what we're going through right now is nothing new. I mean, that's the good news. I don't know if that's good news or bad news from your perspective. I think that's good news to know that we don't need to freak out because this is not anything new. 2,000 years ago, when Peter wrote his first, first Peter means it's his first epistle, his first letter to the churches. In fact, I want to just start by reading the first the first few verses here, and you're going to recognize verse 2 from our Trinity series. In chapter 1, it says, this letter is from Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ. I'm writing to God's chosen people who are living as foreigners in the provinces of Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia. Now, you maybe recognize Galatia because Paul had written a letter to the Galatians, to the churches in Galatia, called Galatians. Well, this is Peter now writing to that same region and and to the expanded region even beyond Galatia. But in verse two, he says this, God the Father, this is, remember, this was a great Trinity verse, by the way. So let me read it again. We we saw this last week as we finished up our series on the Trinity, but I want you to hear this again. God the Father knew you and chose you long ago, and his spirit has made you holy. His Holy Spirit has made you holy. And as a result, you've obeyed him and have been cleansed by the blood of Jesus Christ. So there's your Trinity verse right there in 1 Peter. So Peter's referencing the Father, that God the Father chose you, he knew you, he knew you'd be going through culture wars right now in 2022. And so we should be confident that God's still in charge. The Holy Spirit, it says, the Holy Spirit has made you holy. The Holy Spirit allows you to uh, to sort of continue to stand in the midst of these culture wars. I want you to hear this. Uh, the reason I'm saying all this before we get into the lesson for today is because I want to make sure that we're looking at this as optimists, not as pessimists. And, and Peter starts this whole letter off saying, God's still in charge. The Holy Spirit's made you holy so you can endure in the midst of these culture wars. And, the, and you've been cleansed by the blood of Jesus. Praise Jesus that we know the end of the story. So even as we get into some of this stuff that might create some tension or angst or anxiety for some of you, I want to just make sure that you know that we know the end of the story. We know who wins, and, and we know that this is all just temporary, okay? Now with that in mind, the positive side, in fact, he says, may God give you more and more grace and peace. May God give you more and more grace and peace, even as we start studying these culture wars. With that in mind, I want to show you these statistics. If you are here last week, you saw some of these. I want to show you some of these statistics because today we're going to talk about the truth about trials. Peter lays out four, five, different, five different things uh, that in, right here in these verses about trials, and we're going, to, we're going to go to that. Before we go to that, I, I just think we should look at some of these stats 
one more time. Uh, as, we're, as we're talking about being temporary residents in this increasingly secular culture, here are some stats that prove that. Uh, how, America, how Americans relate to Christianity is changing. This is at Barna.com if you want to check it out. I don't know if you can see this. I'll give you a little bit of a sense. The red line is, is practicing Christianity 12. The blue line was, was sort of just right in the middle there, right? And the red line was winning for years. And in fact, I bet you if we were to extend this out 50 more years to the left, the red line would even be higher, right, in our culture. But look at, look at what's, this is just really interesting, I think, and maybe we'll look back on this. Look at these trends in, just in these last 20 years. In 2012, something happened. You know, back in, let's see, back in 09, 50% of respondents said that they were practicing Christians. And compared to today, 25%. 50% in 09, 25%. And look at what the, the largest group now in this, in this survey responses are in 2020, 43% non-practicing Christians, 32% non-Christian compared to 20% in 09, 25% compared to 50% practicing Christians. So we see there's been a flip, and the flip happened right around 2012, and, and so we, we see this here that this, we were at... We all of a sudden this culture, this culture war. It's almost like the the enemy just decisively seems to be winning the culture war, starting at about 2012, which was 10 years ago. And and as I said in the promo last week, I think part of the reason for that. Well, actually, let's look at church attendance real quick. So church attendance connects to this as well. 48% in 09 of all U.S. adults compared to 29% in 2020, which is just crazy to me. And so these, these data points, 09 and 19, this 10-year span from 09 to 19, 48% to 29%. And I wonder what it would be today. I wonder if probably even just in the last two years, this, this data is a little bit old, um, but I bet you the numbers would be even lower. And here's, here's what we mentioned last week, and this is where I think culture comes into it. I, I hope if, you have, if, if you're parents with students junior high, high school, even grade school, I hope that you'll start talking about this stuff with your kids. Man, it's so important that you talk about God's word with your kids and you talk about the culture and the messages from the culture with your kids. I think it's really important because here's what I think has happened. And, and if, you're, if you're younger than 30 years old, maybe this is gonna be an aha moment for you, but we, the rest of us, we didn't grow up with Facebook. We didn't grow up with YouTube and the craziness that comes with all this. Like, I don't even think the creators of all this realized how used by Satan they have been. <laughs> Seriously. So Facebook and YouTube, I think, I think it was about 04 is when Facebook started in, at Harvard, and by about 06, 07, it got out to the general public. And then it's, I mean, you can go look at your Facebook profile if you're on there and see when you joined, but but probably after 07, 08, 09, unless you went to Harvard. And then uh, YouTube, of course, started right around there as well. I, I believe if the stat, I think what I've read is YouTube started, the idea for YouTube was the um, wardrobe malfunction. Janet Jackson, the wardrobe malfunction at the Super Bowl, do you remember that? When, don't, kids, you can ask your parents, but parents, <laughs> parents, you should lie about it. 
Um, I think what happened is the creators of YouTube saw that and they, went, they tried to go, the internet existed, but no, there was no video stuff online. And they're like, we should create a video service where you can find videos online easily. And that was what inspired YouTube. And so thank you, Janet Jackson, for that. Uh, I think then what really changed, you know, in those early years, Facebook and YouTube were things that were just on your computer, right? And so young people didn't care about that because they didn't have computers. So what really happened is right around 07, 08, 09, 07 I think is when the first iPhone came out. And now pretty soon by 07, 08, 09, everyone now has phones and now access is unlimited. And I really think that that, I think that the social media was the one part of it, but it was the access to it that where these little Satan devices came in, right? And now I think this, if you've got a, if you've, I remember when our, when Kenzie was, you know, 12, 13, she's like, can I have a phone? Because all my friends have a phone. And I remember thinking, man, that's such a hard decision. We talk to parents all the time now. They're like, when do I give my kid a phone? And I know those are hard conversations. I know those are hard decisions to make. So again, that's why I think you should go to a small group so that you can process this with other people and really see what God's word has to say about it. But anyway, I think the iPhone really changed some things. And then, of course, uh, stuff like Instagram and Snapchat and who, who knows whatever even is out there anymore. And all of a sudden, now these things become popular. And what's happening, here's what I think is happening with all of this, is at all, all of this information now, these social media platforms, what they're doing is they're, they're promoting just divisive stuff, they're promoting um, self-serving content. They're promoting all these ideas that are not healthy. I'm not saying all the, all the stuff that it promotes is bad, but most of what it promotes is not healthy, and it's not, therefore it's not helping. And it's not just a problem with our kids' parents. It's a problem for all of us. And so, again, this just gives some background to these culture wars. And I think what we have to remember is the first real culture war started 500 years ago when this guy was the only media that was out there. You know, five, 500 years ago, the Catholic Church could really controlled Christianity, and there was a lot of abuses in the, inside the Catholic Church, and then... And then the Reformation happened in large part because of the Gutenberg press. And so all of a sudden, everyone could have these about 500 years ago. Before that, it was really, you wouldn't, if you were a re like regular people like us, would never have seen a book. You wouldn't have a book in your library. You wouldn't have a library. You wouldn't ever be able to read anything because it was so expensive because there was no way to mass produce something like this. Well, the Gutenberg press made mass production possible. Now, the Bible started getting out there. Martin Luther posts the 95 Theses on the door of the church in Wittenberg, and this, Re this Reformation begins. Why? Because all of a sudden, the one, the one big institution didn't control all the information anymore. All of a sudden, regular people like the Reformers could start to put information out there. So the first information revolution was 500 years ago. This is the second one. That's what I really believe. I believe this is the second information revolution. And what's happened now is 
everyone's ideas can be put out there. And the problem with that is everyone is wrong. <laughs> That's the problem with it. That's, I want you to hear that. God's word is the truth. God knows what's right. Everyone else is wrong. Left to your own devices, you'll screw it up. If, you're, if your ideas get to be promoted, not just yours, but if just whoever's ideas get to be promoted, if PewDiePie's ideas get to be promoted, is that even still a thing anymore? I don't even know. I should have probably checked with my kids and, and asked who the new people are. Taylor Swift's ideas are the only ones. If Justin Bieber's ideas are the only, you see, I, all, I have all this old, this old data. There's newer people, I'm sure. <laughs> Young people, you can talk about this with your parents on the way home, like, that was, he's so dumb. You know, that is so like three years ago, right? But see, that's the point. All this information is changing so fast. But God's word is truth. And so if you want something solid to stand on, it's this. And so that means we need to be wise about how to handle these culture wars. And so that's what we're going to be talking about today. The question that we're really going to be answering today is, will we stand with God or with our culture? That's actually the question we're going to answer throughout this series, all five weeks in 1 Peter. Will we stand with God or with our culture? And so today, as we look at 1 Peter chapter 1, we're going to take a look at five truths about trials from 1 Peter chapter 1. We'll have to kind of quick through this, but I want you to follow along again, uh, and you can follow along in 1 Peter chapter 1. And here's the first truth we see. It's that trials are inevitable. Verse 6, Peter writes, So be truly glad. There's wonderful joy ahead, even though you must endure many trials for a little while. Now, I, when I read this, it, it makes me, it, it feels like something that I want to say to my kids. I, what I like about what Peter's saying here is he's telling them the truth. He's like, look, Trials are inevitable. And of course, what he was talking about was real persecution. Real persecution was starting to happen in the early church by the time Peter wrote this. In fact, not long after Peter wrote this, Peter ended up being martyred for his faith, killed for his faith. Keep that in mind in terms of context. Peter ends up being killed for his faith. That's the kind of persecution the early church was facing 2,000 years ago. Now today, that's not the kind of persecution we're facing right now. This is a great question for small groups or for families or if you're going through this with a mentor this week is to say, hey, where, where have you experienced some trials because of your faith? And I bet you our young people have really good answers for that because growing up as a Christian in, t- in today's schools is hard because you're going against the flow. And I think probably that would be true for those of you who go to work, if that's even a thing anymore. Maybe you don't go to work. Maybe you just get on Zoom, but... But if you were to go to, in the world where you might have gone to work and got, you know, gathered around the water cooler, then maybe that's where you feel a little bit out of place. The more, the more faith, the more Bible-centered you are, the more God-centered you are, probably the more weird you feel. I, Tracy and I feel this when we watch Netflix. We, we, it's hard to even find something that we feel comfortable watching anymore, A. But B, when we do start watching it, even if it's relatively clean, the underlying ideas, the underlying assumptions that they're trying to promote are, are 
against God's word. They, I, I can't, one of the things I can't stand is watching something, and this isn't new, by the way, because this was, this was true from even when, we, when Tracy and I were first married, but this assumption, young people, I want you to hear this, this assumption that saving yourself for marriage is not a thing, this assumption that it's so old-fashioned that you, that wouldn't even be a thing, how ridiculous that someone would save themselves for marriage, and and not be intimate with someone until after they got married, is this, they're promoting this idea, and you see it's just insidious in our culture, in our media. It's just like, that's hilarious. That person wouldn't exist. Uh, excuse me, that, we have two of those people in our home, our kids, two of those people in our home who have made that commitment. I know many others who have made that commitment, but those, and I hope young people, if you're here today listening, I hope you'll make that commitment. It's worth it, and it's part of what God's word says, even though it's only getting, making you look weirder and weirder to say that you're saving yourself. Don't buy the lie. That's a lie. Don't buy it. This is what God's word says. Trust me, it's worth it. And those are just a few examples, but again, the point is, these trials are inevitable, but it's not the kind of persecution that the early church faced, at least not yet. I don't know if it'll get to that. I'm kind of beginning to wonder if maybe it will in our culture, if it'll get to that where it's, it's real, real persecution. Like, are they gonna start throwing us in prison? <laughs> and we're gonna be talking about that today throughout this, this lesson because Peter kind of addresses that. But what I love, before we move on to the second one, he says, but he, he, I love the optimism. He says, be truly glad. Be truly glad. Why? Because there's wonderful joy ahead. See how he's being optimistic? There's wonderful joy ahead. It's all good. God, the, we know that God wins. It's all going to be good. But you're going to experience some trials. And bear in mind, Peter, not long after this, Peter ends up dying for his faith. Truth number two. Trials test that faith. Verse seven. Peter says, these trials will show that your faith is genuine. And then he uses this cool metaphor. He says, it's being tested as fire tests and purifies gold. I mean, think about that. It's like the heat and the pressure, right? He says, though your faith is far more precious than mere gold. So when your faith remains strong, and I like, again, pick up on his optimism. He doesn't say, so if your faith remains strong. He says, so when your faith remains. In other words, you can do this. You can do this. Young people, you can do this. So when your faith remains strong through many trials, it will bring you much praise and glory and honor on the day. Again, look at the when. On the day. It doesn't say on the day if Jesus Christ is revealed to the whole world. It says no, on the day when Jesus Christ is revealed to the whole world. And what I love about that is it is certain the Bible says in another place that there's going to come a day when every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Don't forget that. Don't forget that in this culture where these lines are going, are going like this. Don't forget that there's coming a day when every knee will bow and every tongue will confess. There's coming a day. So young people, when you're mocked at school, just remember there's coming a day. There's coming a day. It, it might feel like it's so far away, but it's coming. 
That day is coming when every knee will bow and every tongue will confess. We are the ones, if you're a Christian, who are doing that now. We're the ones who are confessing his name now. We're the ones who are bowing to his majesty and his sovereignty in our lives. We're the ones who are doing it now. Someday, everyone will have to do it. We're doing it now. We're choosing to do it now. And remember that. So the script is going to flip soon enough. And this is what Peter is saying. It's a test of your faith. Do you believe that? Do you really believe that what God's word says is true? Or do you believe what PewDiePie says? I'm just going to use him the rest of the day. I don't know. Like, do you, he's, he was like a really popular YouTuber, for those of you people who aren't as hip as I am. I'm really hip. <laughs> the young people are just shaking their heads. I could see my kids, if they were here today, they'd just be shaking their heads. Dad, you're such a moron. Someday, their knees will bow. Number three, trials then take Preparation. So look at what Peter says in verse 13. He says, so prepare your minds for action and exercise self-control. Put all your hope in the gracious salvation that will come to you, again, when Jesus Christ, not if, when Jesus Christ is revealed to the whole world. So again, we see, still see a lot of optimism. Peter's saying, be, look, your hope is in the salvation that's going to come to you when Jesus Christ is revealed to the world. Your hope is not in the culture realizing it and all of a sudden the culture aligning itself with God's word because I'm just going to tell you that's not going to happen. If you're waiting for that to happen, I just, spoiler alert, read the end of the Bible. It's not going to happen. Things get worse before they get better. I just want you to hear that. It's not going to happen. The world will not bow their knee to Jesus until Jesus comes back. So remember that. So we shouldn't be, I mean, it's sad to see those statistics, but we shouldn't lose hope. This is Peter's whole point in chapter one. We shouldn't lose hope. What we should do is persevere. What we should do is be prepared. And look at what he says in the first part of this verse about that preparation. Two things he says. Number one, he says, prepare your minds for action. Isn't that interesting that 2,000 years ago, Peter would be smart enough to know that the battle starts up here. That's because God inspired these words and he made us and he knows how it works. He knows that the social media algorithms work this, like this. They're corrupting our minds. They're tricking, they're tricking us up here in our heads and our thinking. They're getting you to think all screwed in a, in a way that's just all screwed up. And not just our kids, but even us. And so what Peter says is, he says, so prepare your minds. And so my question is, how do you prepare your minds? The best way to prepare your mind is to read God's word. There's no other shortcut to it. There's no fancy answers to that. There's no pill you can take. It's to read God's word. When you get a chance later today, go, go in there to your phone and see how much time you spend on your phone on average. 
You probably have an app that'll show you how to do that, or if you have an iPhone, it'll, it'll just automatically tell you. Every once in a while, it just reminds me of how much time I've spent on my app. Just compare that with the amount of time that you spent in this. And it probably won't even come close. We ha- the best way to prepare your mind when, when the world is feeding us all of this information, and if you think it's innocent information, I, think, I pray that you would just do a little audit of the kind of messages you've been receiving just in the last week, or the kinds of messages your kids have been receiving just in the last week. The way that you combat that is with this information. The way that you prepare your mind to, to identify lies that our culture is just going to continue to throw at us is by reading God's Word. I made a commitment this year to read the whole Bible uh, in a year. I don't, I, I've done that in the past, but I haven't done that for years, and I just said, you know what, it's time. I'm going to read the Bible in a year, so I joined one of the plans. Uh, the Logan campus has a plan on their campus site. They're they're doing that as a, as a whole campus. Our Logan campus is maybe four or 500 people, and 30 people have joined the plan. Man, I wish it was four or 500, but that's all right. Those 30 people are preparing their minds. Join the plan. I'm sure that the, this campus has a plan, their, their Bible reading plan. Or it's not too late. Start reading the Bible in a year. The Bible app is a great way to do that. Let's start using technology for good instead of for bad. So Peter says two things. Number one, prepare your minds for action. And then number two, he says, exercise self-control. Oh boy. Exercise self-control. Here's a great way to do that. Fast from this. Try it for a day. Can you, could you do that? Young people, that's my challenge to you. Fast for this. Try it for a day. Could you do it? Whole f- I challenge whole families to do this. We're going to fast for this for a day. And I know some of you already are panicking. You're like, oh, what, I, what would I do? How could I live? I don't even know. Is that even legal? I, it's legal. It's legal. Fast for it from a day. See if you can even do it. Self-control. If those of you people, those men or women in here that have a a struggle with pornography, to get those things, get those, any, any um, app that the enemy uses to control you with that, just delete it from your phone. Just get rid of it. Jesus said, if your right eye causes you to sin, gouge it out and throw it away. The, the perfect application of that today is if your right app, if your left app causes you to sin, then delete it from your phone. I'm sure that's what he would have said if he was saying that today. Just delete it from your phone. Just get rid of it. Or just throw your phone out. Just get rid of your phone altogether. Go to a flip phone. Go to a beeper. (laughs) Beepers should come back. I'm really, I think maybe we'll start a beeper company. (laughs) Exercise self-control. I'm proud of my son because he, he he deletes apps from his phone all the time. He, if you follow, if some of you might, young people might follow AJ on Instagram or Snapchat or MySpace or whatever, um, and you'll, you, maybe you've noticed because, like, he just disappears because he says, I'm so, this is so dumb, I can't, I'm, I'm so sick of this, and so he'll just delete it. Now, you, sometimes he'll put it back on there, like, three weeks later, 
But, I, but what I appreciate is he's learning self-control. Young people, learn self-control. Don't make your kids or don't make your parents be the bad guy. Because the truth is, some, soon enough, you're going to be out on your own and your parents aren't going to have any control over it. If you don't exercise self-control, you're the only one that's going to get hurt by it. Some of you have parents who are saying, you know, they're helicopter parents who say you can't do this and they're very protective. And you're, you got, I think you young people are in the worst situation because as soon as you're out of the house, you're going to throw it all, you're going to just dive all into that stuff. It's only going to hurt you. It's only going to hurt you. Some of you are probably already sneaking around thinking that your parents don't know. And maybe your parents don't know, but God knows. You can't fool him. And you're only hurting yourself anyway. Exercise self-control. That's what Peter says. Trials take preparation. Number four, trials lure you backward into your old ways, into the world. Verse 14, he says, so you must live as God's obedient children. Don't slip back into your old ways of living to satisfy your own desires. Can you believe how relevant God's word is still? This was written 2,000 years ago, guys. This was written 2,000 years ago. And look at how relevant this is. Every one of us could relate to this. Every single one of us. He says, you didn't know any better then. Now look, what what he's saying is this. I want to make sure you hear this. When he says, don't slip back into your old ways of living, what that means is you have the option of slipping back into your old ways of living. I want to make sure that you, under, you put that together here. When you became a Christian, whether it was last week or 20 years ago, when you became a Christian, God didn't all of a sudden take out your ability to sin. He didn't take out your ability to fall into temptation. He didn't take out your ability to have the wrong apps on your phone. He didn't take that away from you. You still have that ability. We see that all over the New Testament. I hate that. I wish we didn't have that ability. Uh, Wouldn't it be so great? Wouldn't that be great? That's not how it works. You can go backward into your old life of sin. And those statistics we started with prove it. So many people in the last 10 years have gone backwards. In our own, Tracy and I, in our own life, we've, so many of our friends in the last 20 years in ministry here in Utah, it's heartbreaking. It's heartbreaking how many people at Alpine Church have gone backwards. And so Peter says, you must live as obedient children. Don't slip back into your old ways. And the reason that people slip back is really, really simple. It just satisfies their own desires. There's just this war in us, guys. There's this war. Just gird up for it. Be ready for it. That's why you need to prepare your minds. That's why you need to exercise self-control is because there's this battle for your soul. It is pulling you, your old way is gonna pull you backward and it's not gonna ever stop. It's never gonna stop. Sin is always going to be luring you backward. The only thing is now Satan has a, has, a, has a tool, and now he has algorithms that he uses to do it. So be smart, and don't, don't allow those trials to lure you backward.
And here's the fifth thing. Here's the last one. Trials are temporary. You're like, oh, finally something positive, right? (laughs) I told you that Peter started off on an optimistic note, but then there's a lot of hard stuff in the meantime. And then in verse 17, he says this. Remember that the heavenly father, who he mentioned in verse 2, right? To whom you pray has no favorites. He will judge or reward you according to what you do, so you must live in reverent fear of him during your time here as temporary residents. Now pay attention to that, because he says that two other times in the, in the letter. He refers to us as temporary residents. He's saying, this isn't your home. This isn't your home. This culture that you live in is not your home. You are not at root an American. I want you to hear this. You are not first and foremost in the kingdom of America. You are, if you're a Christian, you are first and foremost in the kingdom of God. I'm not trying to say anything bad about America. I love America. We're very blessed to be in this country. But our first loyalty is, in, is to the kingdom of heaven, is to God's kingdom. And he says, you're a temporary resident here, so don't let this culture win. Let God's word Let God's truth win. Those are the five truths about trials. Go to a small group this week. Talk about it with your family. If you've got kids, talk about, parents, talk about this. Even though you don't feel qualified to. In the lessons this this week, all throughout this series, we've got the podcast there. Listen to that in, in the car on your way to work this week. Continue to process this. Let God transform you. And let his kingdom win in your life. Let's pray together. God, thank you for your truth. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for your message through Peter that you gave that is still, all these years later, it's still so relevant for us that that we live as temporary residents here on earth. And that's a good thing because it's crazy down here. And I pray, Lord God, that you would protect us I pray that you would protect our kids. I pray that we would align with your truth, with your word, instead of just aligning with our opinions or the opinions of the people we follow online. And God, I pray that you would, that you would do this work in us like you promised in verse two, that you would do this work in us by your Holy Spirit and that you would do this work in our kids as well, the next generation. And God, I pray that you that you would reserve a remnant for you, a a group of people who are going to be faithful no matter what. And we trust you, Lord God, to do that work because we're not strong enough to do it. So give us your strength by your Holy Spirit. We pray these things in Jesus' name, amen.